Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I know the time. Do you know the importance of this subject? All of you fathers with unmarried children, I have one left. We spoke last night. We spoke this morning. May the most spiritually minded girl win. I appreciate my son-in-law, your son. When I asked him once about the marriage of those precious little granddaughters of mine that are sitting next to him, Sarah, you'll probably be first. He said, may the most spiritual man win. Praise the Lord. That's the measuring stick. You want to have a carnal family? You can find your spouses elsewhere. We want to marry as high as we can on the fear of the Lord. And I hope that we all believe and want to do the same thing. Solomon told us in this last lesson of chapter 7 how much effort he put forth into trying to find the value and purpose of women in his life and the life for all of us under the sun. The emphasis is in verses 23 through 25, how he had set himself to be wise, but it was far from him. This subject was too deep, it was too far off for him to find it out. Even though he applied himself diligently to know, to search, to seek it out, He even explored wickedness of folly and a foolishness and madness in this particular area of his life. He sinned horribly by polygamy and by affinity. I hope you saw the word affinity the three times we've looked at it today. Affinity means to marry outside the Lord, to marry an unbeliever, to marry less than one who fears the Lord. I hope you can see that sometimes that was pagan nations and sometimes it was within the nation. Because Jehoshaphat's affinity was with other Israelites. But let me remind you of something I said in the first service. A Christian that minds earthly things, according to Philippians 3, 18 and 19, is an enemy of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's such an enemy that Paul had spent many tears and warnings to the church at Philippi about them. I want to remind you that a person that will not hear the church in a matter as small as the power cord on a jigsaw which is the example I use about hearing a small matter that's brought before the church. If they don't want to hear the church, then let them be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. That is strict. That means church membership in our church is not good enough for inbreeding or for breeding. You need to find someone in our church that fears the Lord the most. You want to marry as high as you can on the scale of Christian character and spiritually mindedness and love of Christ, an independent fear of God and trembling before his word. If you marry a person like that, it's easy to have a great marriage. You don't have to be compatible in anything else, because if you're compatible in those things, everything else will take care of themselves itself. In verses 26 through 29, Solomon described that all of his efforts amounted to failure. He couldn't find what his soul was seeking after. It is terribly to read these verses and to put yourself in his shoes. As he penned these words by the inspiration of God, he wasn't writing a parable. He was writing his own personal experience and he had failed to find purpose and profit in women in his life. Very quickly, let's, read, let's go through these phrases very quickly and then 
make a few points about marrying in the Lord. I find more bitter than death the woman. I explained that earlier as referring to the fact that a bad woman can cause you soul pain, heart pain, that a physical malady can't cause you. And a physical malady is short. And death takes all pain away. But a woman, when, how do you get rid of it? You know, Solomon said it's like the continual dropping of a very rainy day. It just goes on and on and on. Would you shut up? Amen. You know, that's marrying an odious woman. Amen. You say I'm too harsh? Solomon tried a bunch of women and he ran into odious kinds and he ran into strange women and he ran into whorish kinds. Some just want to talk and yak and nag and question. Please take your fingernails off the chalkboard. Please have mercy. I find more bitter than death the woman. Now in this verse, it's not so much the odious woman as it is strange and whorish women by the way it describes them. But if you marry the wrong woman, it's far worse than being single. You marry the wrong man, it's far worse than being single. You have no idea about marriage. You have never been married. You don't know one thing about marriage. All you have is the pitter-patter of a very young heart. And I'm not making fun of your heart. I wish I was young again. It still does okay. I met my heart talking to my wife. I'm not making fun of you young people. Please just think about it. How long have you been married? What do you know about marriage? You don't know anything. You have never felt the pain of marriage. So listen to Solomon. Don't listen to us. Listen to Solomon. He had a thousand. He was the best looking man on earth. He was the most eligible man on earth. He was the richest man on earth. He was the wisest man on earth. When he was sitting at dinner, he could look into your eyes and he could talk about trees for hours. He could talk about trees. He could talk about 1 Kings chapter 4. He could look into your eyes. And he could say the most creative, romantic, wonderful things. And he never found love because he didn't pursue it God's way. Right. Parents and children alike, hear me. Yes. Now, if anybody thinks that I'm a Neanderthal caveman, if that's what you want to call me, my answer will be sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Right. I want to be a Neanderthal caveman as old as Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 13, you think I'm too strict? Did you get a hold of Nehemiah 13, 23? that Brother Newell read. He punched them out. He ripped their beards off. He cursed them in the name of the Lord for having married unbelievers. Because he knew it was going to destroy them. It had destroyed them before. He couldn't believe, Ezra couldn't believe, that we've come back from Babylon, that the Lord's allowed us to escape for a little while, and here we are committing the same sins again. And he went to use Solomon as his example even Solomon, that the Lord loved so much, outlandish women ruined him. Right. An outlandish woman means a stranger, a foreigner, an exotic woman. He wasn't content with the women of Israel. He had to have the exotic princesses of Ammon and Moab and the nations round about Israel. He was like Samson. Samson's parents said, son, please, can't we find a woman among all the daughters of Israel for you to marry? But he was obsessed by Philistine whores. There are three of them in his life. Those are the ones we're told about in the book of Judges, chapters 14 through 18. Three of them. He couldn't leave them alone. Right. Solomon, you know, did you hear what Brother Jeff read to you? 
Solomon clave to many women in love. 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 But daddy, I love him. What does love have to do with it? Even the world knows how to sing that one. What does love have to do with it? Love doesn't have anything to do with marriage going into it. Love is what you do in marriage after you're in it. You marry based on the fear of the Lord. Your love is not a good measure. That's going to be gone like that in a few weeks. And then it comes down to the work of marriage. Love does not make good marriages. The fear of God makes good marriages. Then you learn to love each other in the marriage. And learning to love your spouse is the lifelong task of submitting yourself to the Word of God, getting over your selfishness, and loving and giving yourself to that other person totally, unconditionally, fully. I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets. That's because the women that Solomon played with had evil hearts. How do you know that you're going to get a woman that doesn't have an evil heart? She fears the Lord. A woman that fears the Lord has a pure heart, has a wonderful heart. She wants to please God. She wants to please her husband. She wants to please her husband the way God wants her to. And if a woman pleases her husband the way God wants her to, you just got it made in the shade. You just got the mother load. You just found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. If you need help on that one, see me afterwards. All you got to do is go through the Bible and say, and, and find out what a good woman does for her husband. Because then you'll find out that's the best woman I could ever get my hands on. Well, how do you pick her? She fears the Lord. But he had women whose hearts were snares and nets. Their hearts were continually trying to trap him through emotion, through words, through looks, and then their bodies, which comes in the next phrase. They were trying to trap him. They had to get him. Do you know how much jealousy there would have been with a thousand cats in a cage? Now, I said that already, but I wanted you to think about it. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night to have just two cats outside your window? Now, put a thousand cats in a cage. That's what Solomon had for a harem. You know, men sit around and think, huh. Well, couldn't I just have it for a couple of years? Wouldn't there have been a lot of pleasure for Solomon with a harem? I just go back and listen for those cats. As soon as you hear the sound of those, isn't that a grating noise? Isn't it a noise that makes you want... Don't, I won't tell you what I want to do when I have cats doing that to me. Somebody might be from PETA in here. Because it wouldn't be ethical treatment. Hear that noise? That's what Solomon had. Just listen to that noise instead of telling us about how much you could handle a harem. I want to say it again. Because there's two sins here. There's two inventions that are primary fo- primarily focused here. It's polygamy and it's affinity. That last verse says, I did learn something. I learned, and this is really all that I learned except pain. This is the only profitable thing I learned. That God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Do you know how God made man upright? God made one man named Adam, and he gave him one wife named Eve. And he told that one man, Adam, to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his one wife, Eve, and the two of them would become one. And that's godly marriage. And so the first violation of that is polygamy, and, and he did it in big time, to the, to the degree of folly and madness, to have a thousand of them. Then he married outside of the Lord. Those are his two sins. Those are the... Those are the first of many inventions that men have done to the institution of marriage. 
Because it is marriage that is under consideration here. We shouldn't run off and be thinking about every other invention like television in 20th century America and your sin phones that you carry in your pockets. We should go back and look at the context. And the context is Adam and Eve, one man, one woman. Brother Mark read it to us. He had the residue of the spirit. Do you think God ran out of spirit and he couldn't make a second woman? He could have made a harem right then. He could have made four wives for Adam if he had been Allah. But he's not Allah, he's Jehovah, so he made one woman, one wife, her name was Eve, for one man named Adam. And he didn't have 72 virgins waiting for that Adam when he gets to heaven under the palm tree. Do you know why they dream things like that? Because if you lived in a bunch of sand, the sun would get to your head and you wouldn't be able to think anymore. And so you'd think the best thing I could ever have is that heaven's got a palm tree. Because I'll be able to get under the shade of that palm tree and be happy forevermore. That's as deep as a Muslim ever gets. But they never get that deep in their little mosques because there is no preaching and there is no thinking and there is no learning. All they do is chant with their foreheads on the ground and listen to the noise of chanting. I thank God I'm a Christian. And there is no compatibility nor similarity between the religions of Christianity and the religion of Islam. Jehovah is not a cousin to Allah. Allah is the moon god of the Arabians, and you would worship the moon too if you had been sick of the sun and getting burned every day. That's why you would put a crescent moon in the top of your mosque and not a sun. Every other intelligent nation on earth has worshipped the sun because the sun gives us strength, the sun brings us spring, the sun does everything. The moon is just a little reflected piece of green cheese up there that gives us a a, a reflection in the night. Oh, I'm off the track. But do you know what? Can a Christian marry a Muslim? No way, Ray. Never. How about a Roman Catholic? No way. They're they're, they're, they're believing and following the doctrines of the devils. And do you know that there are Baptist churches now that allow their young people to marry Roman Catholics? If your child ever marries a Roman Catholic or anything close to a Roman Catholic, it better be against your wishes or you'll be excluded. If you bless it, you're gone. We've preached that for 28 years in this church. We know that. We understand it. How can we do anything less than that? Because then we'd be going against the Bible. Nobody cares about doctrine anymore. Do you know why? Because the ones that care about doctrine have married the ones that don't care about doctrine. And guess who wins in that marriage? The ones who don't care about doctrine. The ones who care about doctrine never marry somebody that doesn't care about doctrine and bring them to care about doctrine. It never works that way. It says evil communications corrupt good manners. It doesn't say that good manners correct evil communications. God hath made man upright, but they've sought out many inventions. And polygamy is an invention and it doesn't work. I was going to say something a minute ago, and let me say it now. The only way that a man can imagine being a polygamist and keeping multiple women happy is because he has lowered his standard of what a real man is to a point where he could do it to two women. If he were to hold his standard of what what is expected of a man to what the Bible says about loving your wife, about being being, uh, ravished always with her love, about being satisfied with her breasts, about cherishing her, about nourishing her, about leading her, about being heirs together of the grace of life, about leading about a sister, and all the things the Bible says a man should do toward his wife, there's only enough hours in a day and enough energy in your body and enough intelligence in your mind to do it for one woman. You can't do it for two. 
You say, but I'm thinking about something else that I'd like to do with my harem. Let me tell you something right now. You can't do that enough for one woman either. And if you haven't figured that out yet, maybe you're not good enough to even find out how good she is. And what I'm doing is telling you from every angle that I can that God made man upright, but they've sought out many inventions. And that invention does not work. Polygamy does not work. It didn't work for Solomon. It didn't work for Abraham. It didn't work for anyone. It didn't work for Jacob. Do you want to go read about Jacob's four cats? You've heard two outside your window. Jacob had to listen to four. Have you read about some of those cat fights that are in the New Testament, the Bible, the Old Testament the Bible tells us about? Right. When Leah and Rachel were, were bartering for him, yep. and Rachel so competitive and so jealous because she didn't have any children, and Leah had a whole bunch, and she demanded that Jacob give her children else I die? What kind of pressure is that? That isn't a peaceful home. I love Psalm 128. When you've got one wife, it says you'll see the peace upon Jerusalem and you'll see peace upon yourself. David, you want to talk about David's harem? Was God so merciful to David that when he, talked, when he, con- when he condemned him for his adultery, he told David, he said, if you'd, if you'd have needed another woman, I'd have got you any woman you wanted. But you want to talk about that harem? Was it God's ideal? Absolutely not. Look at the trouble he had in his home. Look at the Adonijahs and Amnons and Tamars and Absaloms and how they all got along with each other. Did they get along pretty decently? Yeah. Was Adonijah excited that Solomon was going to be the next king? Did he want to throw the celebration for him? He wanted to get, Ab- he wanted to get his hands on Abishag. Amnon and his sister Tamar, Absalom and Amnon, different mothers, the competitiveness and the hatred that there was in that family as to who was going to be the next king, chased David all his life. Don't you ever dream about polygamy. It's not a fantasy, it's a failure. It'll ruin your thinking. You're not good enough for the woman you're married to already. Get good enough for her and you'll be happy. I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, the kind of women he chose. That isn't true of all women. The women in this church don't have hearts of snares and nets that are trying to destroy us like they were Solomon. Her hands as bands. She used her body to get a chain upon him that he couldn't let go. Yes, they were highly motivated, but their heart wasn't in it. Anybody that knows anything about sex and the heart, they know that sex without the heart is nothing at all. And don't you ever try to go find out about it. Sex without a woman's heart in it is no sex at all. You can, you can look at this phrase and say, a thousand women all wanting to get in bed to have the next heir of the throne of Israel, wanting to have the next child and to conceive the next child, you are totally mistaken. When the ambition is only to get to conceive a child, not because you're in love, not because you want to give a man a son, not because you want to raise a godly seed, but because you and your daddy and your brothers are putting pressure on you to get your fingers into his hoard of gold, it is it is nothing. There's rubber models that you can buy in the back of certain magazines that will give you a whole lot more pleasure than marrying someone like this. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her. You know, if Solomon couldn't escape, the, the question that should immediately rise in our hearts is, how do you get away from them? How do you save yourself? Please God. How do you please God? Keep His commandments. Whatever God said about marriage, trust Him. God ordained marriage. Where do you think marriage came from? Brittany? <laughs> Do you ever read about Brittany? Oh, she's got such a great marriage. I love reading about her marriage. I do. 
It excites me to see how far the world is from anything that even comes close to happiness. Because happiness is reserved for the children of God that fear Him. Psalm 128. I rejoice. When she hangs herself the next time, I'll be rejoicing. That's the best thing she'll have done in her life. She's wicked in every respect. She doesn't deserve to live. Praise the God of heaven for Muslims. I read this past week that the reigning cleric in Saudi Arabia, who read this where I'm about to go? Any? The reigning cleric, that's a minister. He's, a, he's old. I think he was 78 years old. He gave permission for any Muslim in Saudi Arabia to hunt down any television studio producers that produced television in Saudi Arabia and kill them in cold blood, they would be free under Islamic law for doing that because television was corrupting the youth of Saudi Arabia. Isn't that pitiful? We have to have a Muslim tell us that. That was this past week in the news. The corruption of our youth. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her if you'll trust the Bible. Do you know what it means to trust the Bible? It means to trust your father and to marry in the fear of the Lord. Every one of you children that are not married, there are 35 of you in this church. I care about every single one of you. I don't want a single one of you to marry outside the Lord for your happiness and the glory of God. It doesn't do a thing for me. Every single one of you 35 unmarried children that are still here in this, that are in this church, you should go to your parents and tell them, I'm going to trust you, mom and dad, to help me find a boy or a girl that trusts, that fears the Lord, that loves Jesus Christ, that trembles at His Word. I want to do what Solomon didn't do. I want to do what the Bible tells me to do. I want to do what you want me to do. And I'm telling you that today because I'm making a commitment to you that I will wait for you to find and tell me about a God-fearing girl or boy in this church that I can start looking at or will pray for God to send one that's not in this church. That's what you all ought to do. There's 35 of you. Mom and Dad, I trust you. Mom and Dad, I trust the Bible. Mom and Dad, I don't want to do what Solomon did. I know I'm repeating myself. Mom and Dad, I want to do what the Bible says. Mom and Dad, I don't know anything about marriage. Mom and Dad, I know that when you think about marriage for me, you're thinking about a 50-year time frame. And all I'm thinking about is the next 30 minutes of having fun. I know that there's a big difference between how you look at things and I look at things. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do the best I can. Help me stay busy and help me look. Help me find. Pray with me about finding such a spouse. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her. You know, there's only one thing worse than verse 26. It's when a woman marries outside the Lord. A woman's pain when she marries outside the Lord, in some respects, is worse than a man marrying outside the Lord. Because she is the one in submission. And she can be taken advantage of in ways that a woman cannot take advantage of a man. In certain ways. Don't you dare marry outside the Lord. Every one degree, every one degree that you compromise in that a man does not fear the Lord or a woman does not fear the Lord grows geometrically when you are later married to cause you much more pain. 
It's called the rule of ten. Any weakness that you see before you get married, it will be ten times worse after you get married. Because before you get married, people are on their best behavior to put their best side forward. That is not how they are, how they are when they're married. So whatever you can smell, if you can smell a little bit of arrogance in a guy, if you can smell a little bit of moodiness in a girl, if you can smell a little bit of disrespect to his father in a guy, or if you can smell a little bit of insubordination the part of a girl, it's going to be ten times worse. We have some wonderful women in this church. And it was so much pleasure to sit with Jonathan and Sherry. I only have a little family left. And talk about some of you women, how that as long as I've known you, you have never given a whiff of that evil, odious spirit that was such a pain to Solomon that he wrote about in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Because that gives so much hope that there are such women. And he's able to see them. The sinner shall be taken by her. The man who wants to play around, the man who wants to flirt with girls of the world, he's going down. The man who doesn't want to trust his mom and dad, the, man, the, the boy or the girl that wants to sneak around, the boy or the girl that wants to use their cell phone as a sin phone and have communication with someone that your parents have not given you permission to communicate with, you're going down. Right. It's the Lord saying it. It's Solomon saying it. Look at what he said in verse 27. Behold, please give me your attention. This have I found, saith the preacher. The book of Ecclesiastes means the preacher. Here he is trying, pouring out his soul to you. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. I have not yet found a good woman. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. I have counted them one by one. There was only one man smart enough to know and to analyze a thousand men and a thousand women. And this is a rule for his life. This is not a rule in life in general. This is a rule in his life. If he were to meet a thousand men and he had thousands upon thousands working for him, and he was intelligent enough to keep track of them, just like he could keep track of a thousand different kinds of trees. He could keep track of men and he could analyze them. And he said, among a thousand men, I can find a good man. But among the thousand women that I've tried counting one by one, looking for what my soul seeks after, a woman that really satisfies, I haven't found a single one. And that turned, they turned his heart away. And David's grandchildren were offered to Molech. Did it say that in 1 Kings chapter 11? That his wives made sacrifices to Molech? What was the sacrifice to Molech or Chemosh? They were child sacrifices. Now, he wasn't the only king that allowed that to happen in his family or the only king that did it. That is a big change in one generation from David to Solomon right. to his children. Do you know how it happened so fast? Because his father did the same thing. His father, polygamy. And his father marrying outside of the Lord by, by committing adultery and marrying that woman. And then Solomon did it. Did that help Rehoboam? Rehoboam had 18 wives and 60 concubines. Rehoboam did the same thing. All messed up because that family was not committed to Bible marriages. Are you, are, is your family committed to Bible marriages? Parents, are you committed to Bible marriages? Are you telling your children? Where's that little Courtney? We had a chat between services. Was she going to marry a Christian or a non-Christian? 
Once they got that answer, where's Caroline? Every one of the 35 children in here, every man, every woman should care about every one of our children. We cannot let them marry outside the Lord. They don't know anything about marriage. All the combined years we have, we're almost as smart as Solomon. And we've had real marriages. We can help these children. Courtney, going to marry a Christian or a non-Christian? She said a Christian. I said a good Christian or a very good Christian? You know, that's very good Christian. We want to teach our, our children. God gives you your children. They had a blank slate. If there's crap on those blank slates, it is your fault. You negligent, slothful, wicked parents. If that child has any thought about marrying outside of the Lord, you put it there. You allowed it to go there. God gave them to us with blank slates. Those children should be raised from the day that they're born. You can only marry in the Lord. Don't even think about it. And we start giving them carrots in front of them to give them some hope when they're young. And I appreciate some of you parents that will cooperate in that with me and that have done that. Praise the Lord for that. We can't make them hopeless. You don't give them someone to look at because God turns them on a whole lot earlier than they're allowed to get married in the conventional wisdom of our nation. They have got to have hope. We've got to give them hope. They had a blank slate. Any garbage that's in it, you put it in there. Because God gave it to you blank. Don't talk to me about total depravity. I'm talking about what they know in their heads. If a child's never seen a Christmas tree, they don't know anything about blinking lights. It has nothing to do with depravity. It has to do with what you've exposed them to. Right. You can teach the fear of the Lord. Come here, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Amen. There's 35 and there's more on the way. I'm glad there's more on the way. But everyone is a burden. And everyone should be a burden. You have to marry in the Lord. We know what will make you happy. We know better than you do about what will make you happy because you've never been married and we've been married. This have I found. This is the wise man telling you, Behold, get this lesson. My soul is still seeking for something that I can't find because I tried the wrong kind of women. I married unbelievers and I married too many of them. I did everything that Hollywood would want me to do. I just reached in and grabbed one. And I grabbed another one, and I grabbed another one until I had a thousand. And they were princesses. They were movie stars. They were actresses. They were recording artists. They were the best. They were exotic. They were foreigners. They had a different look. They wore different clothing. They did different things. They did things differently. They had an accent that just turned me on. On and on he went, his outlandish women. And he should have settled for one God-fearing woman from the nation of Israel, like Samson should have, but he didn't. Right. The, the rule he had found was, I think I can find a good man in a thousand men, but I can't find a good woman from a thousand women. This have I found. This is the only thing I've really learned. That God made man upright, but when you depart from his way of doing things, you are going to ruin yourself. They've sought out many inventions. Polygamy, affinity are the two chief ones. There's a whole lot more. There's bestiality and necrophilia and pedophilia and a whole lot of other sins that men have tried. But they don't work. Thirty-five children and counting. Call it inbreeding all you want. You want to accuse me of inbreeding? I have two responses. One, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Number two, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They inbred a whole lot more than we do. 
We haven't married sisters yet. We're not planning on it. Well, we might marry sisters if the two sisters are in your family and there's two boys in mine. Call it anything you want. You know what the Bible says? It says a widow is free to marry whom she will. Only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.39 You say that's the only time it is in the New Testament. How about 1 Corinthians 11.11 Neither is the man without the woman nor the woman without the man. In the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11.11 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do you need anything plainer than that? Just read the Old Testament and see how plain that is. Samson couldn't do it and it ruined him. He was in love with Philistine women. Ahab couldn't do it. He married Jezebel and it ruined his life and all the ten tribes that reported to him. She stirred him up to do evil. Did you read the National Day of Divorce that we read about in in Ezra chapter 9? Took him two and a half months to go through all the paperwork and official proceedings to get rid of all those wives and to get rid of the children. Let one of these overmuch righteous people get a hold of Ezra chapter 9. That's how serious it is to marry outside the Lord. Now, we know what the Bible tells us under the New Testament because we're not under Ezra and Nehemiah. I hope I'll always be honest with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, If the unbelieving is willing to live with you, the unbeliever is willing to live with you, then you live with them. Did you, did you read the words? The holy seed had been mingled with the peoples of the countries round about us. That's what affinity is. We're commanded to avoid all that. What does in the Lord mean? It means someone that has an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembles before the Word of God and wants to live their lives seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen. That's what in the Lord means. Right. If you take the word in the Lord to mean anything, the, the phrase in the Lord to mean anything else than that, what is going to stop you? Please produce the verses that will stop you from going all the way to marry a Catholic. Show me the verses. Show me. I want them. Show me the verses that we can take in the Lord and modify it down to as long as you're an American because America's Christian. Roman Catholics, they believe in the Lord. They use Jesus' name all the time, especially when they get upset and hit their thumb with a hammer. That's not in the Lord. Right. Remember, somebody who claims to be a Christian and minds earthly things is an enemy of the cross of Christ, according to Philippians 3. I've said it three times. I can count and keep track. But do you learn what I'm saying? Are we learning today? Are we committed and convicted about this? We can't be like Solomon. We can't be like Israel in the days of Ezra or Nehemiah. And I want to be like Ezra and Nehemiah. I want it to grieve me and I want to get angry about it. And I want all of you to be grieved by it and to get angry about it. Don't even tempt your children. Keep them away. Don't let them build even friendships with unbelievers. What do I mean by an unbeliever? Let me go over it again. In the Lord means somebody who has an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembles before the Scriptures, hates the world, and loves righteousness. If a person doesn't do that, you shouldn't allow your children to even be friends with them. How do you think romance gets started? God's injecting them with hormones every night while you're sleeping. During the daytime, when you're supposed to be doing your duty, you cannot let them even have friends with those kind of people. Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Why would you marry with any degree of difference, especially on the most important matters of life, religion? The Bible says two are better than one, but that two are better than one is only when two people have married in the Lord. Because if you don't marry in the Lord, then two is not better than one. Two is just a pain. Because that other one is not going to be there to share the reward of your labor. That other one is not going to be there to help you up when you fall spiritually. That other one is not going to be there to fight your spiritual enemies. That other one is not going to help you. 
That other one is not going to keep you warm because two can be warm longer than one being warm alone. In spiritual things, they're not going to help you be a good member of the church of Jesus Christ. Two are not better than one unless those two are both in the Lord. Then two are better than one. Listen, God created love, sex, and marriage. He knows far far more about it than anyone else. When Elton John sings about love, he's singing about Daniel. And I won't tell you what part of Daniel he's singing about. They don't know anything about love. When Whitney Houston sings about love, the only love she knows, it's the greatest love of all, loving yourself. That isn't love. There's only one being that really knows about love, and he gave his only begotten son for us. He knows all about love. He made the love between a man and a woman and between a woman and a man. Trust the Bible. The Bible has all the answers. The Bible's a manual. They didn't invent marriage. God did. They don't even know how to have good marriages. They get divorced every few years. Serial divorces in Hollywood. You'd think they'd all be happy. Hey, they get married to Tom Cruise. That should make them happy. Don't you think? They get to go to the Church of Scientology. It ain't Christian. It ain't science. Go read about it. You want to get married and have leverage in your marriage? Wives need leverage. Should they yell? Should they deprive their husbands of sex? Should they call DSS? Should they pout? Should they show coldness? Should they be sarcastic? Should they slander their husband to others? You want leverage with your husband? Get a man that fears the Lord and put one verse on a three-by-five card in his lunch. Call me, I'll pray for him, and see what he's like when he gets home that night. That's how you marry. That's, that's marrying smart. You can just write a verse in there, very respectfully, tell him you love him, send him a verse in his lunch. You want a wife that you can have leverage with? Husbands need leverage. Should they use force, anger, yelling, sarcasm, silence? Should they mock their wives? Should they deprive them of money? Punish a wife into obedience? Can't do it. You still don't have her heart. You're doing what Solomon did. Remember the advertisement I suggested? So how do you get leverage with a wife? You marry a woman that fears the Lord. You sit your wife down, you show her the Bible. Dear, this is what the Bible says. Our marriage doesn't look like this right now. I've had my faults and I apologize for them and here they are. But you've got a couple and here's what it is. It's in the Word of God. That's leverage. That is leverage. That is, that's almost unfair leverage. Because you're appealing to something that is so important to a person that fears the Lord. You're appealing to the God Himself and to the Word of God. We start with the fear of the Lord. Favor doesn't do it. I don't care if they're nice to you. Nice doesn't mean anything. Jack the Ripper during the daytime was very nice. It was his problem at night that caused trouble. Nice. Favor. Favor is deceitful. Because anybody can do something for you, but do they fear God, independent of you? You don't want them to fear God because you told them they need to fear God or my parents aren't going to let you marry me. That isn't the fear of the Lord. That's a favor. And favor is deceitful. But do they fear the Lord independently? Do they have a love of Christ on their own without you encouraging them toward it or showing them to it? You say, well, I've got to get started sometime with this person. Okay, fine. If you get started, then they should have an independent love of the Lord after you get them started. There's two, there's two three-page charts over here that I've used for many, many years on how to qualify guys and girls for marriage. The first line is, do they fear the Lord? And the parents are to fill that first line out. And it's either pass or fail. You don't give points on fearing the Lord. Either you fear the Lord or you don't fear the Lord. And I've defined the fear of the Lord for you this way. Proven fear of God 
Love of God, trust in Scripture, delight in the Lord, love of the truth, fellowship with Christ, zeal for worship, complete conversion, hatred of sin in the world, willing to learn and change, confident of eternal life, baptized, lives by faith, loves strong preaching, no fear of peers, honors her parents, loves prayer, holy, despises man's wisdom, spiritually minded, hates false ways, humble, craves instruction, evangelistic, wise, intolerant of sin, etc. In case you didn't get the point. That's the fear of the Lord. And a parent can just say, P, they pass. Then you can give them the rest of the test and find out if they're going to be hot stuff when you get married. But if the parent says F, they don't fear the Lord, then you don't even get to go through the rest. Because the rest doesn't matter if they don't fear the Lord. The same thing for guys. You have to be intelligent parents. I hope you're giving your children hope. I hope you're filling their blank slate with lots of wonderful things. Don't come to me and tell me that someone told you they're a Baptist. That doesn't mean anything. Do they fear the Lord? He's a professing Christian. So is Judas Iscariot. His zeal is just a little cool now, yes? And Jesus said he would spew the mud of his mouth. He believes in God. Great. The devils do and they tremble about it. He says he knows God. Great. But he's a liar unless he keeps his commandments. 1 John 2, 4. But, Daddy, he was saved ten years ago. Great. At a Billy Graham crusade or at a youth party. Daddy, he'll change. Are you kidding? You think he's going to change later if he won't change now? If he ain't changing now to get you, dear, he sure ain't changing later after he's got you. But, Daddy, did you hear his prayer? I didn't, darling. I was reading Proverbs 20 and verse 11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. Prayer doesn't cut it. How does he living? But, Daddy, he's the nicest guy I know. Oh, come on. Please, do something better than that. We'll get you a little doggy. We'll get you a little kitty cat. We'll get you a teddy bear. That you can pull a little string and he'll say nice things to you. Does he fear the Lord? Right. we got to be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you, did you all hear the readings? I don't do those readings to take away preaching time. I'm envious of my preaching time. I do those readings so that we can cram as much Bible into the four hours that we... Five hours that we spend together as much as possible so that you have the word of God. Did you hear those readings? Abraham's servant said, what if she doesn't want to come back with me? Should I take Isaac to her? Don't you dare compromise our religion. Our religion is this land is ours and this is where we stay. This is what God gave me by covenant. She is going to compromise where she wants to live. She's coming to Isaac. She's coming to daddy. We ain't going to her. Did you hear all that? That is the Word of God. We do not compromise. Well, let's just let this slide. What, like baptism? You're going to marry a Presbyterian, a Methodist, an Episcopalian, or a Lutheran? Okay. When you have your children's children that we read about in Psalm 128, what ceremony are you going to go to for them? And when is it going to be? Is it going to be when they're little babies and somebody pours water on their head? Or is it going to be when they're old enough to give a profession of faith and give the answer of a good conscience toward God? Right. Don't you dare compromise on issues like that. We don't marry with the hope of conversion later. We make sure they're converted up front. Don't be deceived by compatibility. It doesn't mean anything. The only compatibility we want is the compatibility in the religion of Jesus Christ. Anything right. short of that doesn't mean a thing. What, what, you, what compatibility are you talking about? We both like, come on, spit it out. 
bowling. Oh, please. We both like football. What if he likes professional and you like college? That could be a lot of trouble coming. It doesn't matter. That kind of compatibility doesn't cut it. Don't even think down that road. That doesn't mean anything. Do they fear God? Will they sit in church with me and learn about what it means to be a good... For every girl, you want some protection? I'm giving you the greatest protection anyone is ever going to give you. No one else is going to give you the protection I'm giving you right now. Marry someone that fears the Lord. Then every time they read the Bible and it tells them to cherish their wife, you don't have to worry about finding your husband looking at pictures of a woman that's ten times prettier than you are. Because if he's got the Word of God, he's got verses telling him he can't do it. Then you've got to take him to a church where there's someone wild enough that will get in the pulpit or write Proverbs commentaries about looking at another woman's breasts. You want protection? I'll give you protection. Right. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm mad at sin and I'm mad at marrying out of the Lord. Amen. Get a man that fears the Lord. Amen. Get a man that fears the Lord. Yeah. And keep him fearing the Lord. Pray about him to continue fearing the Lord. Encourage him to fear the Lord. And I've given you protection. You want a man that's going to love you every day of your life and cherish you like Jesus Christ cherishes the church? Get a man that fears the Lord. Dating. Dating is something. I don't care what kind of dating you're thinking about. I don't care if you call it courting. I don't care if you call it arranged marriages. I don't care. I'm just using the word. It means getting two people together to get married. I don't care how you do it. However you do it. Just remember that any kind of interaction with the opposite sex can very easily lead to marriage. So you better be very careful. Wait up front. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until their hearts are just pounding away with puppy love for someone. And then you've got to say no because it hurts. Don't let that get started. Give them hope of something better than that. Let them know that you are looking every week of their lives. Let them know that you are praying. Let them hear your prayers for them. Dating hasn't worked a bit in this country. Arranged marriages are far better than dating. Don't get me off on that subject. Listen, I'm glad that we're able to take a peek at what we're going to marry and find out that we love them before we get into it. But you know what? You don't need it. And it sure hasn't worked in our country. The more dating has gone up and the lower the dating age has come down, the more divorces there are. You'd think, well, with all that time they got to spend together from junior high all the way through college, you'd think they should really be established with each other. But no, it's, it's the opposite. They divorce faster and more times. Rebecca didn't need to meet Isaac. What's that going to accomplish? Bowling? Pizza? You don't like anchovies? I don't like anchovies. Cool, we're in love. Let's go carve our initials on a tree. Here, i got a jackknife. Let's go carve our initials. J-C plus S-M. Is that love? It's the fear of the Lord. For us to seek and expect such exceptional spouses, we need to raise and train such exceptional spouses, or we're asking for something we don't deserve. This is the commandment of Paul. It's in both Testaments. It's very important. We should not approve any marriage to unbelievers or to believers without living godliness. The hurt of a disappointed child, because you have to tell them no to some relationship, it may last a night, it may last a week, it may last two weeks. The hurt of a disappointed child doesn't match 50 years of marital hell. Save your children. You have the authority. The Bible backs you up, God backs you up, and we all back you up. 
You know how much authority there is in the Bible? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as it gets to the last eight verses, the Apostle Paul told fathers of virgins that if they thought the circumstances were such in Corinth that it wouldn't be in the best interest of their daughters to get married, they could say you can't even get married, let alone to whom you can get married. Do you understand what kind of authority that is? You can't even get married. Anybody who knows me knows I don't believe that religion. I believe the authority part of it, but I believe that the circumstances of America are totally different. I want my children married as young as possible. I wish I could have been married earlier. Then I could have a 33rd anniversary this year or something instead of 31. I wish it could have been earlier. I'm content. So far gone now. I can still remember it, though. If your children are married, are your children married? Well, guess what now? We have a whole lot of grandchildren to take care of. And I, the more I've thought about what I said this morning, you know, I, I'm not the only grandfather in here that gets to hug grandchildren when he comes to church. There's a whole bunch of you, and it does my heart so much good to know that there's a bunch of you in this church by God's grace. But we have our grandchildren to take care of, and we should be praying for them and giving them hope and helping teach them to be gracious and reminding our children who are their parents to do the things that I've talked about here for a few minutes. The words of Jonathan are ended. The word of God never ends. The truth of the scriptures of a King James Bible provide us the cure for having godly family trees. And we want to have godly family trees. We don't want to mingle our holy seed with the people of this world. The Bible is very strict about it all the way from the beginning. God drowned this earth and suffocated old people and young people alike because the sons of God married the daughters of men and took as many of them as they chose. They married based on looks. They saw that the daughters of men were very fair to look upon. That is not enough. Beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I trust that these little lessons from Solomon will do us well. Can we go today through this week, if the Lord tarries, No matter if we hear someone say something negative about us, we're just going to remember. We've said a few negative things about other people. That doesn't bother me a bit. (laughs) No way am I going to pick on that, what they said about me. Because if God were ever to expose what I've thought about others, it would be far worse. That is wisdom from the Bible. And then, let's remember that Hollywood, romance novels, pornographic magazines... Recording artists, I don't care if they're country, western, rock and roll, punk, rap, I don't care what they are. None of them know the answers about love, sex, and marriage like the Bible does. Solomon tried all the women that he could, and he applied all the wisdom and diligence and money and looks that he had. And he was a total failure, and he told us what to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. And that includes marrying in the Lord. And then he says, get that one single wife that you have that fears the Lord and enjoy life with her. How's that for a hard religion? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Marry one God-fearing woman and enjoy life. Amen. That's the bottom line. But let's help our children do that. 